Another mini series down. We really took it to Waititi Town. Yes, and I would like to take this moment to publicly apologize for making that series name. <laughs> and that we will have to sing it twice more this year. I don't know. I think we can come up with another series name between now and then. <laughs> that was our 10th uh, miniseries we just finished. What? 10? We're so accomplished. I don't know. How are you feeling about it? How are you feeling about the whole Taika thing? Our 10th miniseries and our first one chosen by our listeners, not by us. So how do you feel about it having watched all these? I feel like our listeners are better at picking good movies than we are. (laughs) That's fair. I mean, like, more of these movies have been enjoyable and fun to watch. I think at a higher percentage than any other miniseries we have done previously, except for Scream. And, you know, maybe even more so than Scream, honestly. Yeah, this series was all bops, no flops for me. And I think that is the second time after Peel, I want to say, that that has ever happened. Yeah, Wade is more discerning than I am. So I can't tell you exactly about the flop to bop ratio. Or, (laughs) I mean, I know that all of these were bops for me, even Eagle versus Shark, I think. Uh But I can't tell you about in the past. But this is, it's just like, it is start to finish very good. Like you said he kind of comes into it fully formed even two cars one night even eagle versus shark which i would say is the bottom of my list no mm-hmm. offense to it mm-hmm. but his first film my least favorite is one that has is a bop and has even sort of like really stuck with me and grown in my estimation as i've thought more and more about it as time has gone on since watching it so they really sort of like stick with you yeah Okay, so what's your what's your ranking? And then we can talk about what it all means, what we learned, and that sort of stuff. My ranking, as I said, these are all bops. I would say the top four of these I love, and the others are really good. So no insults to any of them, but we are doing the ranking, so I got to put them in an order. This is what I got. Number seven, Eagle versus Shark. Number six, Two Cars, One Night, his short film. Number five, What We Do in the Shadows. Number four, Thor Ragnarok. Number three, Jojo Rabbit. Number two, Boy. Number one, Hunt for the Wilder People. Wow. Wow. What a list. Boy is really special, but it is also really hard. I'm not necessarily prepared to say if I was doing best instead of favorites that it would be number one rather than number two, but definitely in favorites, there is just like such a sorrow in that movie and also an eagle versus shark that makes them like a little bit hard for me to deal with, even though I think they're excellent. Hmm. Yeah. What about you? What's your ranking? Okay. I'm not putting two cars one night on here. Because it it will complicate things, and I think we'll rank movies lower. We'll make other movies rank lower than they should. It's a great short whatever, and I think it does like perfectly encapsulate a lot of other stuff that happens later. Okay. I think for me, it is 7, Eagle vs. Shark, 6, Hunt for the Wilder People, 5, Thor, Ragnarok, wait... No, wait, scratch that. It's seven with... It's, it's seven with the car, so I, 
brutally confused myself. <laughs> it's six, eagle versus a shark. Wait, give me a second here. All right. In 12th place, Keanu. How many overall episodes have we done that now, like, this, like, 87 or something? In 87th place, it's X-Men The Last Stand. <laughs> My feeling is whenever, whenever the podcast has to end, as all things do, uh-huh. the final episode should be ranking everything. <laughs> okay, I can already tell you that my number zero, the worst on the whole list, is going to be X-Men Last Stand. <laughs> and number one <laughs> will be X-Men Apocalypse, and you know it. Uh, <laughs> i take it back we should not that's not what we're gonna do okay i think i've composed myself enough okay. i can count this up at number six eagle versus shark number five hunt for the wilder people number four thor ragnarok number three jojo rabbit number two what we do in the shadows is he a madman number one boy <laughs> i think boy is incredible i I think it's so, I think it's such a good movie. I obviously think that Jojo Rabbit is like a better movie on almost every movie standard than what we do in the shadows. On the other hand, I would much rather watch what we do in the shadows than Jojo Rabbit. Just, that's just an easy equation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the sorrow in boy is the exact movie kind of sorrow that you want. And the, like the Jojo Rabbit stuff is like, a little more than that like a little more than you want to get into necessarily just like ever like you know just like just like to throw up on the tv for whatever but boy like it hits all of the right beats and i think it also like is kind of a map text for the rest of the work too in an interest or like you know like a keystone to kind of deciphering what a lot of the rest of it has to say Mm-hmm. Eagle vs. Shark and Hunt for the Wilder People are very, very good movies. And I think that they're probably better, or not, maybe not better, but they're certainly more unique and like showcase his voice, I think, a little bit better than Thor Ragnarok does. But again, I think that Thor Ragnarok is, if you ask me which of those three would I rather t- throw up on the TV and watch, it's Thor Ragnarok. It's very fun. Yeah. And it has made me to like reconsider watching all of the mcu movies which nothing heretofore has ever done wow yeah it's like it's made me think like oh i could like figure out what the hell was going on with all of this and no and it feels like what always kind of like alarmed me before about that was that feeling that it like never ends and of course it never does end because it's a franchise but it kind of also does end because it has end game as being like kind of the cap on all of that and so you know that like it might be 23 movies long but it is like it's it has set bounds especially just watch something that late in the series and be like oh yeah i remember how much i like the conclusion of that wouldn't it be fun to go back and watch all that Mm. so thank you taika you may have retroactively made me an mcu fan after all of this time it feels like kind of where we were heading (laughs) from the beginning of the x-men series all the way here what a long strange trip it's been that's called growth baby yeah wade what do you think about you know the themes that have been explored and divulged from taika's work over the course of the series it's a lot about childhood Mm -hmm. a lot about mothers and fathers a lot about disillusionment 
a lot about protecting other people. Mm. Very little romance in these movies. A lot of chemistry, but very little romance. Mm-hmm. Even Eagle versus Shark is like a rom-com for the first half, but then is a like two ex-lovers in competition with each other for the second half mm-hmm. sort of movie. Yeah. But obviously also like all of the Maori stuff is a huge part of all of them and the history of his people just sort of like fighting against colonialism and imperialism and fascism and a real connection with nature and also a real fear of being dirty and like getting into the invasion of being unclean. I think we even get that in uh, Jojo rabbit in that incredible scene where the Nazis come in and sort through his house. You see just like the fear Jojo has of someone ripping apart everything he has, you know, I was struck in that by how much the Hitler character reminded me of his vampire character in what we do in the shadows and like Mm. that same like kind of fussiness and like neatness is like kind of um part and parcel with like a very mockable side of like the straight lines nazi stuff you know like needing everything to be so like aesthetically you know at right angles and like so aesthetically i don't know like picture perfect while like Again, like hiding this vast internal emptiness and like despicableness. I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, they say that comedy like love is in the details all mm. about the small things. And I think that is where a lot of Taika's jokes come from. Thinking about how he treats the Nazis in Jojo and how he treats the vampires and what we do in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Like it is making fun of how silly and stupid and idiosyncratic the specific details of all the systems we have are even the way his father acts in boy or the way child protective services act in hunt Mm. for the wilder people like there is that really fun slapstick stuff in there too but it's not really broad comedy it is like specific pointed detail oriented situational comedy a lot of the time and it's also not usually that explicit or like that sort of blue of humor like mm-hmm. even though portion of these movies are r-rated at least two maybe three do you think taika makes kids movies he obviously like makes movies with children as the protagonists in at least several of them we've got hunt for the wilder people we've got this mm-hmm. uh, this most recent one jojo rabbit we have boy Marvel's kind of for, I don't know if Marvel is for kids, but it is like, I'm not really sure I know who exactly it's for, but you think of superheroes and you do think of like kids like going and watching those things. I would say that Jojo and boy are movies with kids, not for kids Mm -hmm. would say that hunt for the wilder people is a family movie. Like a family, all ages adventure movie. And Thor, I would also say, is that. That's a little more explicit, a little more violent, and a little more sexual, but is also kind of offset by like really bright colors and some like huge slapstick stuff that I think probably ages like eight and up would think were mm-hmm. really funny. So. Something I really admire about Taika that I don't think we've mentioned so far is that he is a big proponent of 
letting everyone who has kids bring their kids to set and just have their kids with them. Um, He says that he encourages any crew or cast who have children and those children need to be doing something during the daytime. He encourages them to bring them with them to set. And he has two daughters. He was married, I think, for about a decade to the production designer of Boy, who he met making that movie. And they got divorced in 2019. But he has two very cute daughters with her, and they are with him on set a lot of the times as he shoots these movies. And we're with him for the entirety of Thor Love and Thunder. And there are all these really sweet pictures of them, like, sitting in his lap and wearing ridiculous costumes as he's you know directing this 200 million dollar marvel movie so that's awesome i think that's like a great order from the top for a parent to give to other parents yeah how do how do you feel emmett mm-hmm. as a fellow director about the balance take a strikes between the comedy and the drama in his work i feel like it's interesting because we went i went into this thinking of him as a comedy director I still think that like he has better comic timing than a lot of a lot a lot of other stuff that's coming out right now. But I would say that the majority of most of these movies feel like more coming of age stories or like either dramatic or straight up tragic in some cases. So I think he's one of those people who does a really great job on, like you say, bringing the comedy out of the details of the character and always having the plot or at least like the character's arc come before the comedy and the comedy growing out of that. Even in the most broad and like laugh a minute, one of them, what we do in the shadows, all of those things come out of very specific, highly developed characters who like are just existing Mm -hmm. under a very specific set of given circumstances. And then it becomes inherently absurd and they lean into that. It doesn't really go for any cheap jokes about vampires. It's not like a scary movie or something like that, where it was just like vampires suck. Vampires suck. That's uh, like, that's the funniest thing ever. And I think you see that, too, because if you watch the 30-minute one on YouTube that they did, like, 10 years before, it is a lot of much dumber jokes about vampires. Like, they hadn't found all of those things yet. And they have some of the good ones that are in the movie. The good ones make it, but, like, a lot of that movie doesn't because they were making a bunch of dumb jokes. But they found, like, they found real people in those wild characters and, like, told that story. I think he's one of those directors, I mean, I just get this idea that he's really advocating for every character, which I think is really cool. Mm. It seems like he would be so much fun to work with as an actor because it seems like he's on every character's side and isn't making judgments about those characters as the director, at least, and like really allowing everyone, like each character to flourish as who they are. Yeah, as a as a writer, what are, you, what are your thoughts well, to your point, I think that he really sees things in actors, mm. which is something mm-hmm. I really admire. I mean, looking at JoJo and thinking about like in 2019, you're going to cast Scarlett Johansson as like the dramatic lead mother in your comedy. Like that's a bold move, as is casting Rebel Wilson and Sam Rockwell as the two comedic relief in your prestige 
Oscar drama, you know? Yeah. From a different perspective. So, and thinking about his two mainstay actors, Cohen Holloway and Rachel House, and the way mm. he like has so much faith and collaboration in them and finds new avenues for them. Even Reese Darby pops up in a few. I think he's going to be a next goal wins as well. Like that he can see all these different characters and sides to the actors he's working with and find new ways to bring them out. That, I mean, that just goes back to that like repertory theater ideal and that idea of like, what does this person who you always see playing this way look like playing something else? And that's something I really admire about his work too. Yeah. I think from a writing perspective, he gets a little more linear as he goes Mm -hmm. on. Eagle versus shark is sort of two movies, a movie of two halves. Boy is a memory play that's sort of scattered all over the place. What we do in the shadows has no plot. Hunt for the Wilder People is episodic. There is like a journey, but not necessarily a rise. And then Thor is grappling with like four different plot lines, but telling each of those linearly, obviously he didn't write Thor, so I probably shouldn't focus on it too much, but he's like figuring out how to sequence Mm -hmm. those storylines going on. And then Jojo is in my mind, like his first actual like linear narrative feature. Mm. I mean, I think like, as I said, for all the controversy, which I think is really overblown considering he's probably in 10 minutes of that movie as Hitler, but like for all the controversy of that, I think it's actually like his least irreverent and his most sort of linear, straightforward. We are telling one big story about this person and this is the journey he goes on, how it ebbs and flows. I don't think that episodic nature is always a bad thing in particular because a lot of times he's dealing with children and doesn't your life also kind of feel like an episode when you're a child and you don't have to go to work every day? like, mm-hmm. Or when you're looking back at childhood as an adult, which I think some of these play with. But I do think there has been a clear progression of him as a writer. I would like to see maybe a little more build up to some of the huge climaxes that he's really known for at this point, Mm -hmm. like really escalate the tension until it explodes into that huge manner and maybe like pepper some more continually exciting bits throughout. I'm really excited. He wrote both of his movies that are coming out this year. Next goal wins, which is a adapted from a documentary, which is really weird, but I guess that's a thing that happens and Love and Thunder. So I'm excited to see how his writing has continued to evolve in both of those. Yeah, so he's writing Love and Thunder. Mm-hmm. Get to see his Thor vision complete. Well, cool. Now, first, you gave it to us. Well, first, no, really, first we gave it to you. We were like, we're going to be doing <laughs> X-Men and then all of these other movie series. And some of them are going to be yeah, definitely... Nine series. Some of them are definitely going to be better than X-Men. Some of them, not saying who, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, but some of them were worse (laughs) than even the the X-Men series. Yeah, but then you gave it to us, and it was a great idea. And now we're going back to the old model, where we decide what what you listen to us talk about. (laughs) Uh, So, Wade, would you like to introduce the next series? I wish I had the recorder. I wish I had the sound of the recorder playing the theme song to play here. Wait, I could, I could do it. I could do it. 
That's right, folks. It's Indiana Jones. No, just kidding. We're watching all the Jurassic Park movies. Woo! If if you can believe it, there are five Tuesdays in March. And across those five Tuesdays, we will be watching the five Jurassic Park movies, which I am very excited for. Jurassic March? Or our March of the Dinosaurs, perhaps? I mean, that's the only kind of March Madness I care about right there. That's what I'm talking about. I want to see I want to see some dinosaurs eat some lawyers on some toilets. No spoilers for anything. I want to see some dinosaurs <laughs> eat some people who are hunting dinosaurs. I want to see some dinosaurs who eat some family that's just trying to reconnect with their lost son. I want to see some dinosaurs eat some rich kids who just wanted to go on a cool vacation. <laughs> I want to see some dinosaurs eat some kids just trying to sleep in a house in San Diego. I want to see some, you know what, dinosaurs, baby. I mean, Jurassic Park is big for you, right, Lama? Oh, yeah. I can't. I cannot believe it's taken us this long to talk about it because honestly... I've been watching this since I was so small. I used to do a Velociraptor Mm. impersonation as a child. Perhaps what got me down the path to acting in the first place. But we'll save that for another time. (laughs) This is what I want to do. We've never done this before. But I want to ask, firstly, when was the last time you watched any of the Jurassic Park movies? The most recent one that I watched was the original. And I watched about half of it probably around October sometime. Okay, here's what I want to ask, and I don't. We don't need really any explanation, uh-huh. but I want to know what before rewatching them, uh-huh. your ranking would be, and then once we rewatch them, we'll compare and contrast. Oh, I think this. Okay, straight up. If you want me to know, this is as they are you. right now. This is not like what you predict it's going to be. This is what if someone asked you like if right, now, asked me right now, what is your ranking of all the Jurassic uh, okay, Park movies? Oh, I don't remember four or five, so I'll say they're equal at number four, and then it's one, two, three in descending order, but in like much closer than they have any right oh, to okay. be. Okay, interesting. If you asked me when I was a kid, I would have said the second one was the best. Wow. Go back and forth on the second one between the first and the second. I feel like you're just like a a three. That's the one I always hear you talk about, that you were a three kid. I loved it. But I think like even back then I was like, oh, the Velociraptors. Oh, Jeff Goldblum. Like, come on. I had a Jeff Goldblum thing all the way, way back when. (laughs) Okay. If I were to rank them right now, having not seen any of them since the last one came out in 2018, four years ago was the last time I watched any of them. I would go number one, two, my favorite. Number two, the original. Number three, five, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. My favorite of all the sequels after the second one. My favorite of the non-Spielberg movies. And then it's really hard for me between three and four, those are both movies where I don't like the story, but they both have sequences that I really like. Hmm. The pterodactyl scene in three and the final 20 minutes of four. But I would probably put four above three just because I'm like fascinated with it as a self-flagellating meta upset at its own existence. (laughs) 
blockbuster. I feel like this is truly going to be like at to your point, a walk down cultural context lane. Mm. You know what I mean? Because it's it's like you have the original in 1993, the same year that Steven Spielberg is nominated for the Oscar for Schindler's List. He also Mm -hmm. comes out with Jurassic Park. So it's like wild times for Spielberg, right? And wild times for digital animation being used in live action movies and like making CGI that looks like still looks pretty good even now. And like the this blend of physical and digital effects that they're doing. And then, like, we get the, the gritty sequel in the mid or like the what in the late nineties. You get the all action movie, re, like semi soft reboot in the early two thousands, and then this painfully mm-hmm. so ironic that it can't bear its own existence meta take in Jurassic World, and then whatever Jurassic World two is, which I, I classically. Cannot tell anyone for the life of me, even though it is a movie that I reportedly have seen. Jurassic World 2 is like, it's another movie of two halves. It's half disaster movie, mm. half haunted house movie. Ooh. When you when you tell it to me like that, it makes me want to watch it. I swear <laughs> I've seen it. But don't you think there's going to be like stuff to get into with this? Yeah, we've got 30 years of action filmmaking. Damn. I can't wait to see how it all progresses. And, you know, I remember our good friend Evan Scott Russell on our Blade Runner episode Mm -hmm. saying that since Jurassic Park, the Hollywood effects industry, something he knows a little bit about since he works in it, has been like obsessed with chasing the digital effects that they pioneered on the original Jurassic Park 30 years ago. So going back to that today, looking at what it gets right, what it gets wrong, how it sets up for Jurassic Park 6 that we're getting this year, Jurassic World Dominion. Crazy. And to get Hunt from the Wilder People's own Sam Neill and Thor Ragnarok's Jeff Goldblum back to uh, talk about their performances. Really excited. Cannot wait to see Laura Dern. You know, I'm excited about all of it. I can't wait to talk about it. the book on this is a big one too. I haven't read the sequel, mm. but I might might just be able to manage it. Excited to talk about some more adaptations and then some adaptations of some adaptations and new iterations, as Ian Malcolm mm-hmm. would say, the franchise finds a way. It's going to be a fun march as the sun gets a little bit brighter and the world feels a little bit less bleak. We're going to be Talking about a bunch of big lizards coming to kill us all. Yes, it's wonderful. Caliban is already puffing up her beard excitement over there. We'll be back on Tuesday talking about freaking Jurassic Park. Yeah, stay frosted like an embryo inside a can of shaving cream, baby. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. 
You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week 